The episode you are about to hear is completely inerrant in all aspects, including grammar, syntax, historical context, scientific fact, and comprehensive universal truth. In any cases where this episode conflicts with established consensus, the established consensus is wrong. This episode is inerrant because this podcast claims to be inerrant, and we can trust this because the podcast is infallible, and we know that's true because it was stated on the infallible, inerrant podcast that it was infallible, and we can trust this because... Wait, what? Hi, welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Welcome back. We uh, are going to continue our topic about the inerrancy of Scripture. So this is the one with the errant inerrancy, part two. And we're going to focus mainly today on invalidating the Bible's inerrancy with inaccuracies. We talked about contradictions last time. This week, we're going to talk about inaccuracies. And the two main areas we're going to focus on are scientific inaccuracies and historical inaccuracies. Anything contradictory or inaccurate in the Bible immediately and conclusively ruins the idea of inerrancy. Right. And the Bible is not a science textbook. I think that even though that is true, the Bible should not go against what we know about science. And I think we can show conclusively that it does go against modern day science. What we know is true. And people say, oh, well, that's because there's cultural things and we've learned so much more about science. But the point is, is if God is eternal, then he should have known about the future scientific discoveries. And honestly, the things in the Bible should have been so advanced that people were like, there's no way that could be true. And then now people will be like, oh, man, the Bible was right, which you still hear some some evangelicals say, you know, they'll say, oh, the Bible was the first ones to say that the earth was round, you know, when there was all these flat earthers, which are still around. We'll actually get to that one. Yeah. It doesn't say that the earth is round. (laughs) Yeah. I was just reading an article the other day and it was like, oh, modern science and the Bible line up perfectly. And I, I almost fell out of my chair. I know. I don't know how people can say that. Yeah, it's so funny. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is Noah's flood. And that is something that a lot of Christians take literally. They think it actually happened. My parents do. Um, I think your parents do, right? Oh, yeah. And I, I fully believe that it happened in, in real life. So if you're listening to this episode and you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me because I already know Noah's flood didn't happen. You should still know how to counter Noah's flood with scientific evidence for sure there's nothing wrong with knowing how to refute this yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff about the flood even without like scientific evidence if you just think logically yeah common sense yeah about the idea of a worldwide global flood and how impossible that would be just from a common sense standpoint but there's actually a lot of evidence that shows that it didn't happen. So let's think about how fossils fit into the whole Noah's flood legend. We have fossils from so many species in the past. Where do they all fit in? Well, if you're a young earth creationist and you think that the flood happened, then you have to say that every single fossil was laid during the flood. So that one year period when the water covered the earth, that is when all the fossils were formed. Right. Why doesn't that hold up with reality? Well, presumably the entire contour of the earth is not at one level. If you had a global flood, you should find fossils from all different kinds of animals in areas where they would have never lived. Yeah, it would have made the whole earth homogenous. Right. You would have had, you know, whale fossils or I guess maybe some other prehistoric whale or a 
or a megalodon, you would find a nice big megalodon fossil on top of Mount Ararat, you know, or some high peak. You should have found stuff up there. And not only that, but you would find a megalodon next to a human in the same strata. But instead, what we find is that the geologic column is divided into strata by time periods and different organisms are found in different strata. They're not mixed together. Right. And the simpler ones are found towards the bottom and the more complex life forms are found at the top and they don't mix. We don't ever find rabbits down in the Precambrian. Right. And we don't find humans down there either. Never. Right. If you remember that only eight people survived the flood, it was Noah, his wife, his three kids and their wives, right? So that's eight people. So the whole remainder of human society, which I don't remember how many people they would estimate were on the planet at that time, but you know, it had to be a good amount of people. So you would definitely have human remains and fossils of humans encased in rock somewhere. Yes. You know, after after a worldwide flood. Another thing is that young earth creationists like to point to fossil finds that look chaotic in nature or they they look like they've been devastated by a flood. They look like they've been fleeing from obviously what we know is a local flood, like a river overflowing. But they Mm -hmm. say, look, this is evidence of a worldwide flood. How do they explain fossils like a perfectly preserved wing? Right. A delicate structure like that, perfectly preserved in a fossil. Right. How do you get that if the whole world was devastated by this flood? And they say everything was wiped out. Right. The young recreationists claim there were earthquakes, so that could cause tsunamis. Oh, right. Volcanoes erupting. Yeah. They portray the flood as being this really horrific, catastrophic event. Right. One question that a lot of young kids ask in Sunday school, well, where did all the water come from and where did it go? Where did it come from? Where did it go? Um, Sorry. I'm going to edit that out. Seventh inning stretch time. Yes. So yeah, conservative estimates say that you would need about three times the amount of water in the entire earth, its polar caps and its atmosphere to cover the mountains like the Bible says. Where would you get that amount of water? Yeah, you have to invoke a miracle. Yeah, it would have to be an insane amount of rain for an insanely long period of time. Right. So I think the flood says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. So the ancient Egyptians, so why don't you talk about them for a little bit? So the ancient Egyptians were already keeping records for hundreds of years prior to the flood. And they didn't even seem to notice or care that there had been a worldwide flood or that their <laughs> civilization had been wiped out. Right. The Egyptian record keeping was on the walls of caves and in hieroglyphics and things. So if there was a worldwide flood, that stuff probably wouldn't have survived. So there would be there'd be literally no record of Egyptian society. And The Egyptian culture is something that we have some of the most archaeological artifacts from. Yeah. It was such a huge culture. There's so many artifacts from it. They would have all been wiped out in a worldwide flood. Or you would have seen a big gap in their history. Exactly. Where it's like, oh, here are millions of people disappeared. Okay, so the pyramids. The one I was reading about was the Great Pyramid of Giza. Which ones were you researching about? The Dozier Step Pyramid and the Great Pyramid of Cheops, which I'm sure I'm (laughs) saying wrong. That doesn't this episode sound... is not inerrant. Yes, yeah, Cheops, Chops, yeah. They were both built hundreds of years before the flood, and they have no evidence of water damage. Right. And, you know, water is catastrophic when it comes to damage. I had a leak from my bathtub over here, and it caused catastrophic damage in my living room. So if there was a global flood, these pyramids would have shown water damage, and they don't. And do you know who agrees with you on that? Oh, please tell me. Answers in Genesis. Oh. They do agree with you on that. Well. They have an article, and we'll link to it, although I hate to sound their website traffic right (laughs) they have an article about the great pyramid of giza the question was was this pyramid built before or after the flood and in the article they say the reason the pyramid of giza didn't get destroyed by the flood 
is that it was built after the flood. And the evidence they give for it being built after the flood is that it didn't get destroyed by the flood. <laughs> oh, so that's one of those cir- circular, one of those circular reasoning. reasoning here. So it- it's, it's such a weak argument that makes me think if I were a doubting Christian and I wanted to know, or a doubting young earth creationist, and I wanted to know more, and I came across this article, it would probably push me further away from young earth creationism to see how weak of an argument that is. Yeah, and it's, I always find those arguments, it's like, amusing because they don't when you see people debate ken ham or whatever their faces like wrinkle up with such (laughs) which such confusion because they're like wait did he really just say that as the proof like you know and then the counter argument would be like no we actually have dating that shows how old the pyramid is it's like you're debating a child who just digs their feet in in the sandbox and is like no 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 i'm right i'm right i'm right (laughs) Right. i'm listening to you yeah it's pretty crazy so we had mentioned a little bit earlier about civilizations and that there would be gaps in civilizations of the world if there was a worldwide flood. And there are none. There's no gaps in mm-hmm. continuity as a result of the flood. Yeah. So let's talk about what animals were on the ark. Okay, so there's 8 million current species. We know that all of them had to have come from the animals that were on the ark because everything else died in the flood. Right. Even the bacteria, because the salinity of the water would have been all balanced out, would have been pretty brackish, I guess. Yeah. It was all mixed together. The plants wouldn't have survived. The algae wouldn't have survived. Everything on the ark had to repopulate every species alive today. Right. How many animals were on that ark? So if you had two of every kind of animal and seven of those special animals that were only going to be used for sacrifices, but two of every kind to repopulate the earth, the numbers don't really work out. Right. Especially given how many species would have been alive at the time. You would have, how are you going to bring them all on the, to the ark, even as big as it was? Because we know about 4 billion species that have been on the earth in the earth's history. Right. And if you're a young earth creationist, you have to fit those 4 billion species into 6,000 years. And that's just a little bit unrealistic. Yeah. But yeah, you have to think about how they kept all these animals alive on the ark. What were they feeding them? Right. How did they keep the plants alive? Like, did they have a nursery where they were just, had these little seedlings of every type of plant? Yeah. Something that the young earth creationists say is that no, they only had like seeds or they only had baby animals and they only had two of every kind of bird. So like they would have two kinds of birds and then then when they got off the ark, they diversified into like all the species that you see today. Oh, so evolution. Evolution. (laughs) So they actually do believe in evolution, but only when it suits their purposes. Right. My other famous uh, favorite thing when you were talking about taking care of the animals on the ark is poop. Oh. Imagine how much poop would have been on the ark. You'd be constantly shoveling it out the window. Just, it'd be like a fecal festival for like an entire year. Like, how many windows were on the ark? Wasn't just one? Yeah. The methane and the ammonia, the urea would have been from a nightmare. the urine. Ugh. Like cat pee. We have, yeah. I have two cats and the cat pee ammonia is atrocious. Oh, it's awful. Imagine like dinosaur pee. Oh, right, right, right. We didn't even cover that. There was dinosaurs on the ark. Yeah. I would love to see how they got a brachiosaurus in that freaking thing. Like... <laughs> And, you know, you see all those kid pictures of the Ark, and it shows the Brachiosaurus neck coming out of the top of the thing. Cause, yeah. But they had to have two of them, too. Yeah, you're right. Maybe they just had an egg. Maybe right. he went and found, like, raided some dinosaur nests and picked up a few eggs of every species. Yeah, and he built incubators to Why keep am them. I trying to uh, <laughs> find out? Uh, because it's fun. It's <laughs> it like fun. I mean, this is what's funny about these inaccuracies. Is like, if you really think about these things, like from a logical standpoint, it degenerates so quickly into foolishness. You're like, how did I ever believe this? Like, Degenerates so quickly into foolishness. I like that. So there's more. Like, this just keeps going. Like, yeah, yeah. Distribution of animals. If Noah's Ark landed in Turkey, which is where Mount Ararat would be today in 
in modern day Turkey, why would like marsupials go back to Australia where we find most of the marsupial fossils? Instead of staying in Turkey? Yeah, why wouldn't they be in Turkey? I don't know about most marsupials because I'm not like Jack Hanna. Do you think kangaroos are just hopping from Turkey all the way to Australia? And, and polar bears, that's really surprising too. Like how do they get back to the North Pole? Right. But yeah, but evolution's predictions about where marsupials would be is exactly what you find in the fossil record in the strata. Right. The origin of marsupials in the North America migrating through Antarctica and flourishing in Australia. So that makes sense. How about the Ark itself? Because it was a big stinking boat. Yeah, I don't know anything about boats. Me neither. Yeah, well... I haven't researched this like to see if the dimensions of the Ark would actually float, but the younger creationists say yes, it would, and skeptics say no. So I don't know. Yeah, I think we have listed that the longest wooden ships today are around 300 feet long, and they're banded with iron class and must be continuously pumped because wood is porous. Oh, that makes sense. So you're going to have to pump out of the bottom of the boat all the time. Yeah, especially if the boat's in the water for a year. Right. So the Ark was 450 feet long, didn't have any iron. Certainly didn't have any bilge pumps. And remember, there's only eight people on board. Four of them are shoveling dinosaur dung, and the other four are just like scooping water out of the bottom. Now, the young Earth creation will say, well, it says they sealed the boat with pitch. Oh, okay. Oh. Problem solved. It's been sealed with pitch. <laughs> so, okay. Which is apparently, you know, some magical rubber. Well, when all else fails, they say, well, God sprinkled some of his magic dust on it and... <laughs> made it work right but why wouldn't he just do it himself then like why do the ark at all right why go to all this trouble if he's just gonna have to intervene and in, in all these different steps with miracles yes why not just snap his fingers and start over it seems like so much easier yeah if you can just kill everybody on the planet because that's what you're trying to do because they were evil well just do it like just do it you could just snap your fingers and everyone's dead god's not very efficient yeah seems like a lot of work <laughs> Another thing I found interesting is that the Tigris and Euphrates rivers are reported in Genesis both before and after the flood. But that's completely unrealistic if a worldwide destructive flood had happened, especially one in which the continental plates were racing around. And we're going to get to that later in this, this episode, so right. stay tuned. But in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 5-6, through 6, it says that the earth was destroyed. Everything got leveled. Right. Everything is starting fresh. Why are those rivers still around? Right. And you could say that like, oh, maybe new rivers formed and that location and then the people renamed them the same names they just happened to rename them the same names how do they even know what they were called before right noah and his family are the only people who survived and had that knowledge yeah we can basically say there's a lot of evidence that at least should cause you to question the veracity of the flood if it didn't happen then the bible can't be inerrant next fun topic, which is, I think, one of our favorites, is the age of the Earth. And we kind of already talked, we hinted at this because we keep saying young Earth creationists. So this is one for me that was like a real eye opener when I started to really like dig into it. And I haven't dug into it as much as probably I should. I was hardcore into, oh, yeah, the Earth is, is 10,000 years old. I think I always thought 10,000. And then I heard 6,000. And I was like, okay, well, that's not that big of a difference. But when you look at the science, there's just no way that the Earth could only be 6,000 years old. So There's no way. And the way they get to that 6,000 is the genealogies in Genesis and Luke. They basically add up the generations, and it adds up to about 6,000 years. So we're going to only talk about a couple of factors that disprove young Earth, but there are oodles of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> oodles, Just yeah. oodles of ways to disprove young Earth. Let's talk about space. 
this is beyond the scope of my level of intelligence. So I'm going to try to talk about this and not sound like a moron. So if there's any like astrophysicists that listen to this show that can write us or tweet us or something and say, first of all, you're an idiot and here's how it works. I'm open to that because I like to learn. And also we'd like to interview you. Oh, for sure. Because that would be <laughs> awesome. Um, so there's, there's a thing in the cosmological evidence of space called a relativistic jet. And a relativistic jet is a jet of plasma that is ejected from some quasars and galaxy centers, and they have powerful magnetic fields. It is conjectured that these jets are driven by the twisting of magnetic fields in an accretion disk, which is a plate-like cloud of matter, and they're found encircling a lot of celestial bodies. In really large bodies, which they call supermassive, I like really large, supermassive makes you sound smarter. <laughs> uh, immensely strong magnetic fields force this plasma to shoot away from the disk in a jet that shoots away from the face of the disk. In some cases, these columns of plasma have been found to extend far enough to refute the idea of a young universe. They even named these things. So there's a quasar, PKS 1127-145, that has a relativistic jet that exceeds 1 million light years in length. Okay, so it travels at the speed of light. So that's the whole premise of this, is that these jets travel at the speed of light. Okay. Yes, and because the speed of light can't be exceeded, this column has to be over a million years old for you to be able to see this jet. Moreover, these jets are generally billions of light years from Earth, meaning at least they're at least a million years old several billion years ago. Again, mm -hmm. due to the distant starlight problem. So, again, this is some high-level nerdery. I wish I was cool enough to really understand this. Yeah. The furthest stars are over 10 billion light years away. So, just based on what we know about the speed of light, the amount of time that light for light to travel implies that the universe must be old. You, there's mathematical stuff that explains the speed of light. So, light can be measured multiple different ways. And all of that is agreed on a constant speed of light. It's been measured from different galaxies, which all of us show light moving at the same speed as it does here on Earth. So, yeah, I have people in my family who definitely believe in the young Earth and the young universe. And, you know, when I bring up the starlight problem, the distant starlight problem, they say, well, God could have created the universe and like propelled the light forward <laughs> faster. Right. So that it got to the Earth so we could see the stars. Well, that's well and good, except there's a problem with that because... We can see stars exploding that are millions of light years away. So that means not only did God propel the light forward, but he invented backstories to those stars. Like he made it look like a star blew up a million years ago. Right. But it didn't because it's only 6,000 years old. Right. And what would the point of that be? There is no point. Like there's no the point. The only point would be to make a young universe look old. Right. And you can also apply that same argument to the trees in the Garden of Eden. If you, if you had chopped one down, would there be tree rings in there? Right. People say, yes, there would have to be tree rings. It's a tree. <laughs> okay. Well, would the tree rings be all the same size or would some be bigger, indicating years of previous rainfall that was greater than other years? Yeah. Would God have created backstories for those trees? You hear that uh, argument a lot that God created things with age. Yeah. But logically, there's not really any reason to do that. That would also be like if he created Adam with a broken leg <laughs> or a broken bone that had healed. Like if right. you could see on x-ray that he had a broken bone that had healed. Yeah. And you'd say, well, no, you can't have been just created. This x-ray shows me you broke your bone 10 years ago. Right. Oh, no, no, no. God just made him look old. He just made it look like he broke his leg. Yeah. He's not actually old. He just appears to be old. Yeah. 
All right, let's move on now. We're going to talk about geological evidence next. I'm excited for this because this is my thing I've been getting into lately. I've been watching this YouTube channel called Gut Sick Gibbon. Mm. Uh, we'll link to it, but it's this woman who's, I think she's getting her PhD in something smart. And <laughs> I love her so much. And she explains scientific things in ways that us morons can understand them. <laughs> We're going to talk about three components to geological evidence that show that young earth is impossible. Radiometric dating, continental drift, and impact events. Okay, so radiometric dating is probably pretty much everybody knows what that is, but it's based on radioactive decay. So that happens when an unstable atomic nucleus spontaneously changes to a lower energy state and spits out a little bit of radiation. And this happens at a constant rate for each element. And this is something that is mathematically proven. The radioactive yes. decay rate is, is something that is constant. It doesn't change for any circumstance, right? It, yeah, we've tried to, not we, because not me, <laughs> scientists have tried to change the decay rate and speed it up. Mm. They have been able to change it by like 0.01% or 0.1% or something like that. Okay. Something very marginal. Right. Not anything to what you would need to account for a young earth. Right. Let's talk about carbon dating too. Carbon dating is is one of those things that a lot of young earth creationists like to use when it's convenient. But when carbon dating shows that something's really old, then they're like, oh, no, no, that's carbon dating isn't accurate. But when you want to date like the Dead Sea Scrolls or something like that, carbon dating is cool. But it's like one of those things, again, where like you cherry pick the science. Yeah, You want to cherry pick carbon dating and use it when it's convenient, but not when it's not convenient. Yeah. I watched a video where Christian scientists were trying to prove that the earthquake happened mm -hmm. uh, when Jesus was crucified based on the like waviness of the lines in the Sea of Galilee, I guess. How they got to arrive to the dates of each line was carbon dating. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay. So you are okay with carbon dating. <laughs> it's, it's, it's only when you're using it to prove something that's in the Bible, but not for something that's not in the Bible. So right. radioactive dating corroborates many of these other dating methods like tree rings, ice cores, cosmogenic array analysis. So the fact that there's multiple ways of things all lining up and saying the same thing, that's like having multiple sources to your news story saying, okay, I've got multiple witnesses that said this happened or multiple sources that corroborate that this happened. Young Earth creations don't have those multiple corroborations. They just have, I said so. <laughs> you not only have to argue that radiocarbon dating got sped up, but you have to say that, you know, ice was laid faster right. and everything sped up, right. which is a stretch. Yeah. And, well, and there's no way to justify a speeding up because there's no, there's no precedent for it. Right. And there's no point to it. Why would it matter? The only reason to do that is to give a young earth the appearance of an old earth. Right. Which is deceit. So, yeah. Which also just counters your whole argument of the earth being young, too. Like you want to make yeah. it look old, but you want to say it's young. So they admit it looks old. Right. <laughs> it's so weird. All right. Let's move on to continental drift. Our continents have been moving around the Earth for 4.5 billion years. There used to be Pangaea. Well, the continents move at a rate of one inch per year. So 6,000 years clearly is not enough time to account for where we know the continents started out and where they are today. Right. Of course, the young Earth creationist claim is that all of the movement of the continents happened in the one year of Noah's flood. Right. So they say like the water just screwed everything up, broke everything apart. Right. Okay, so we're going to come back to this. Yeah, and if you believe in the flood, then you can kind of... Like if you read the flood story, not not to go back to bash the flood some more, but, you know, it says the water came up from the earth and it rained down. So it's like, okay, well, that makes sense that the water came up from the earth and it broke the earth apart. 
if you believe such a thing. But even if you think about that logically, how much water is under there Yeah, that could b- literally break apart the Earth? Where's all this water? Did it go back down there? Did it go into space? Yeah. Okay, so another problem is impact events. And by impact events, I mean collisions between astronomical objects and the Earth or the Moon. So there's a whole lot of impact events, like craters on the Moon, since there's basically no atmosphere, um, the craters, once they're there, they persist. But on the Earth, once we get a crater, the atmosphere and the wind and erosion tends to erase those. Mm. But they're still there, including the crater on the Yucatan Peninsula that wiped out the dinosaurs or that is uh, alleged to have wiped out the dinosaurs. Mm. So they have to fit all of that in somehow. It had to have been getting pummeled yeah. in the 6,000 years by meteors and asteroids. Yeah, I think it was in the Neil deGrasse Tyson series, the Cosmos series. He talked about this too, and about the amount of cosmic eruptions and asteroids and stuff that are slamming into the planets at all time, and how on other planets there's a lot of evidence of this chaos, and on Earth there's less evidence of it because of the atmosphere. So you can actually look at other planets and the damage that they take from impact events, and it helps you gauge the age of not only the Earth, but the entire universe, which is pretty fascinating. Okay, so this causes the heat problem, and this is something that the young Earth creationists know about. They know all about the heat problem. (laughs) They're on it. They've been trying to solve this heat problem for about 20 years. They say that all the radioactive decay that has happened since the beginning of the Earth had to have happened in the 6,000 years leading Mm -hmm. up to today. The problem is that radioactive decay emits heat. And when it's spread out over a long period of time, it's not a problem. Okay, so if you add up the heat released from radioactive decay in 6,000 years, or some people even say the one year of Noah's flood, then you add in continental drift, the friction from the drift from one year, and then the impact events over 6,000 years. Every time uh, something hits the earth, it releases heat. It can actually melt crust. The resulting heat output would be hotter than the surface of the sun. The crust of the earth would vaporize and the oceans would just boil off into space. And this would all happen during the flood. So the earth wouldn't have even survived the flood. No. (laughs) At all. Like it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't be here. And we wouldn't be here to tell you that it never happened. (laughs) Right, right. So the only thing that creationists can do with this is invoke a miracle. They acknowledge that God would have had to intervene to solve the heat problem. Which brings us back to the whole idea of why would God create a young earth and then go to all this trouble just to make it look old? It doesn't make sense. It's like the more we talk about this, I think it's really funny that people even argue about the age of the earth. But to Christians and, and stuff, it matters because they're trying to prove that the Bible is right. You know, and science isn't trying to necessarily prove anything. They're basically just saying, here's what the facts say, and isn't this fascinating? There's no agenda on science's end that we know of, but young earth creationists, they definitely have a bias. They have to maintain their young earth, and so they do anything to maintain that, which includes misrepresenting data, warping the truth, and having to invoke miracles. Yeah, and to be fair, there are scientists that have an agenda oh, true true on both sides of the thing so but science as a general idea exactly like, it doesn't have an agenda it's just it shouldn't it should have checks and balances in place to make sure there is no agenda there and there definitely are scientists that will say oh well this proves this because they're trying to prove a certain point yes 
that's part of human nature. So just to be fair, we're not saying that all old earth scientists are always 100% right and don't have an agenda. And I guess we can categorically say that all young earth creation scientists are wrong because there's just no proof for what they're supporting. Yeah, there's no way you would come to the conclusion that the earth is young if you're honestly and in a non-biased manner evaluating the data that's available to you. So there's a couple other fun uh, earth problems. We won't spend a, a ton of this, but there's a lot of verses in the Bible that said the earth had four corners and that it floats on water. So you can look these up. Isaiah 11, 12, Psalms 24, 2, Psalm 136, 6, and then Revelation 7, 1. We can categorically say that we know that the earth does not have four corners and it does not float on water. This has been proven wrong. Bible wrong on this one. Another good one. The earth is a circular disk. Isaiah forty twenty two. Sorry, I think this is the one that they use to say that, oh, actually, the Bible says the earth is round. Yes, it is the one. Yeah, okay. So they mistranslate circle to mean sphere. Right, they're saying it, that, which a, a disc would be a flattened circle, like a frisbee, which is also wrong. <laughs> so Yeah, right. And then at the same time, the earth is flat. So it's circular disc, it's flat, it's got four corners, and there's tons of verses for this one too. And this is what I mean, that they're ignoring every single verse that says the earth is flat, and they're fixating on this one that if you mistranslate it, it sort of maybe says that it's a sphere. <laughs> right. And they're like, look, the Bible yeah. says the earth is round way long before anybody knew it. Right, yeah. All right, so the last one is that the earth doesn't move. The Bible says this a bunch of times in Psalms and in First Chronicles, and we categorically know that the earth does move around the sun. It rotates on an axis. This is all proven by science. So more scientific inaccuracies. I mean, we could probably spend another day and a half like <laughs> finding more of these and talking about it. There's lots of websites out there that do that. If people are interested, they just go to one of those websites. And, and you don't even have to really be interested in like arguing against Christians about stuff. I just find this stuff fascinating in general, learning about how the earth is how the universe, how big it is and all this kind of stuff and how old yeah. it is. It's fascinating stuff. So it doesn't have to be just about winning an argument, <laughs> you know, although that's fun too. So let's move on to historical inaccuracies. So this is fun too. When you look at the Bible and you read these stories, I know for me, and I would assume this is true for you, when you heard these, when you hear some of these stories in the Bible, if you accept them at face value, they're fascinating because you're like, oh man, this is amazing information. And then when I was a kid, I didn't have a way to like history check no. these stories, you know, because... I didn't have a way to do it. So when you are able to do that later in life, then you're like, oh, I don't know how I ever thought that. So, All right. So we're going to talk about the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is really interesting. It's, it's kind of a fun read. It really is. Yeah. I read it a while back because my sister's really into it. And I kind of wanted to understand her perspective. Okay. So in chapter five, King Belshazzar is introduced. The problem is that we know he was never king. The Bible says he was king. He was actually crown prince of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. He was basically acting as king in the, in the absence of his father. So that's mistake number one. The second mistake, and I actually identified this on my own as I was reading it. So I was so Ooh, proud kudos. of myself. 
yourself. Yeah. Kudos to you. I know. We know that Nabonidus is Belshazzar's father. Okay, so remember that. Nabonidus is Belshazzar's father. We know that from history. Multiple sources. It's uncontested. Yes. The book of Daniel says that Nebuchadnezzar is Belshazzar's father. And so I'm reading this and I'm like, what? Something doesn't add up. And I went down to the footnotes and it even said that Nabonidus is Belshazzar's father. My Bible admitted it. That it was wrong. <laughs> and then it says... It's probably saying Nebuchadnezzar is Belshazzar's father because Nebuchadnezzar was known as the father of all nations. What? I was like, what? That is really a stretch. Where did it ever say that Nebuchadnezzar was the father of all nations? That's what I'm saying. Because I've always heard heard Abraham was the father of all nations, you know, which is way before the Babylonian Empire. So that's a weird footnote. Like, Mm -hmm. even the footnote is wrong about itself. Even the footnote is weird. Yeah. And so I actually brought this up to my sister, who is a biblical inerrantist, by the way. And I asked her, why does it say Belshazzar's father is Nebuchadnezzar when it's actually Nabonidus? I think she checked her sources and she said that the argument that she got or the explanation that she got is that sometimes they use the word father to mean grandfather. Yeah, I know that was my reaction too, Bill. I wish you guys could see his face. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, there's a lot of stories about Nebuchadnezzar. And the only one that's probably actually true is the one about the dream of his statue. If you remember the story, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a statue and it's made of all these different components. And all the other stories that are in Daniel most likely are about Nabonidus, which makes sense, you know, based on what we just said about Belshazzar's father being Nabonidus, not Nebuchadnezzar. The story about Nebuchadnezzar's golden image in chapter 3 where he sets up a statue of a god in the temple, sounds just like an account of Nabonidus that was found in a clay tablet in Babylon. It's also well known historically that Nabonidus went mad, but Daniel says that Nebuchadnezzar went mad. And I think in the story, I always remember that story that like Nebuchadnezzar was like went mad and he was like out in the field eating grass. Yeah. That wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. It was Nabonidus. Right. This is also proven by a document in the Dead Sea Scrolls where the prayer of Nabonidus that describes how he went mad. There's documentation for this stuff. This could all boil down to scribal errors. You know, chapters two through seven, for some reason, are in Aramaic and not Hebrew. And since ancient Hebrew words didn't have vowels, the word for Nabonidus would have been N-B-N-D. And an Aramaic translator might have gotten that wrong and thought that he was talking about Nebuchadnezzar. We already talked about scribal errors last time. Shouldn't be scribal errors. No, there shouldn't be. And that's a pretty big friggin' error. It is. To talk about a king. You know, that'd be like mixing up American presidents and saying that George Washington freed the slaves during the Civil War. Right. In a supposedly inerrant, divinely inspired book. Right. I mean, it's like God just didn't even care about getting the details right. It's like fact checking. Nah, don't feel like it. So another issue with the book of Daniel is the introduction of this character, a certain Darius the Mede, who took over the kingdom from Belshazzar. He, I guess, conquered him, right? Mm-hmm. So the problem is that this Darius the Mede is completely unknown to history. Nobody knows who he is. He cannot be identified as any particular king of media. And it was actually Cyrus the Great of Persia who conquered Babylon and took over from Belshazzar. Mm. So there was nobody in between in the records, nobody. So so nobody really knows who Darius was. But Daniel specifically says this Darius the Mede character was king after Belshazzar. Yeah, and Darius was like a friendly king to Daniel. That's a big part of the story, too. Like, he, like, liked Daniel and he, like, elevated him to some position of power. And so this is, like, all part of the narrative of God's man, Daniel, being recognized and valued by this heathen king. But turns out he probably didn't even exist, which yeah. is pretty interesting. So another thing I noticed as I was reading Daniel, and I excitedly brought my Bible over to my husband, I was like, look what I found. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so chapter four, verse 11, you actually listed this earlier when you were talking about the flat earth. Mm. Daniel had a vision in which there is a tree and the top of the tree reached heaven and this tree could be seen from all the ends of the whole earth. So what does that mean to you? Flat earth, right? Yeah. If you can see a tree from every point on the earth, that means the earth is flat. Right. And if that tree reached the heavens, that means heaven is up. Right. <laughs> only yeah. up. <laughs> it could only be up. Right. So here's my thing. This is supposedly a God-given vision to Daniel. Why would God give him a vision of a flat earth? I don't know. Because it's not real. Daniel is full of that stuff. Like there's so much stuff in Daniel that is like fantastical. Very problematic as far as historical inaccuracies. Yeah, and failed prophecies, but that's not the focus of this episode. Yeah, yeah. We'll, I would love to do an episode on failed prophecies. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about eschatology and failed prophecies at some point. That'll be super fun. The next topic of historical inaccuracies has to do... We kind of list a bunch of... Um, major characters in the Bible and major areas. That's kind of what we're going to do next here. So we're going to talk about Abraham, who actually was allegedly the father of all <laughs> nations. So Abraham, big character for the development of the Jewish nation, the Israelite people, all of that stuff. He's a big dude. But there's some historical things surrounding who Abraham was that just aren't that accurate. So it says that Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldees. The only problem with that is Ur was not a Chaldean city until 1,000 years after Abraham. That's kind of a problem. Was it a city, but it had a different name or would it just not exist? Sorry, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, apparently it didn't exist. And if it did have a different name, that would still be inaccuracy. It would have The writer would have said, it used to be called this, you know. I was talking to somebody, won't name names, and I was pointing out a few of these city name issues like what you just said. And she said that she doesn't find that it's a problem when they update the name of the city for the people who it's being written for. Like, so they would know what city it was. But that only applies if the city existed before it had a different name and then a name changed and they're calling it by the new name. Right. That doesn't make sense if it didn't exist at all. Yeah, like I'm trying to think of something in modern history like... Like Russia, like USSR and Russia. Right. Or like Burma and Myanmar or... Yeah, good. Yeah. Maybe this isn't as big of an accuracy. Maybe it was a thing. But to me, if the Bible is supposed to be clear, yeah, there shouldn't be any kind of confusion. There's another one like this in Genesis 2. It said that Abraham pursued his enemies to Dan, which is a region at the time, allegedly. But that name wasn't used geographically until after there was a big major conquest. And then that area was called Dan. And the difference in time is he mentions the area of Dan in Genesis. And then that name of this conquest that happened wasn't until Judges, which would have been many hundreds of years later, probably thousands of years later, actually, between Genesis and Judges. So, mm -hmm. so Abraham's got some historical weirdness. Let's talk about everybody's favorite guy, Moses. Yeah. So there's no Egyptian record existing uh, mentioning Moses or his devastation of Egypt, nor is there any evidence of a mass exodus or existence of a Jewish culture in Egypt. And we touched on this in the last episode. There's just no evidence of it at all. And you would expect there to be if the events had unfolded like they are described in the Bible. Yeah. I mean, you can't wander the wilderness with two million people and not have some kind of evidence of that wandering yeah. in the historical record. In the, yeah. That's a lot of bodies that were out there because there's no way they all live. <laughs> oh, definitely not. Oh, 40 years <laughs> wandering around with deadly snakes they being were, thrown at you? No. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they're eating manna and catching quails every once in a while. It's like horrible. No. 
So Moses also referred to Palestine in the book of Exodus, but no such name was in use then. And I think this betrays that the books were written way after the fact and couldn't have been written by Moses. Right. But you know, my Bible, actually in the footnotes, they address all these anachronisms and say that somebody must have updated the manuscripts that Moses had written. It's like a Wikipedia edit. Yeah, right. Originally written by Moses, updated Upta- by so-and-so yeah. 15,000 years later. Right. But we won't mention that. We'll still say the books by Moses. But of course, like, then you can't ever falsify the fact that Moses wrote it because everything that indicates that he didn't write it, oh, that's just an update from somebody. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. The law of Moses is, is the statute of God and his laws, according to Exodus. But it, it closely mirrors the Code of Hammurabi, which was penned in 1800 BC, which was hundreds and hundreds of years before Moses. And the Code of Hammurabi, we have a lot of archaeological evidence for. So we know that it exists. I mean, if you really think about the Ten Commandments, and that stuff it, it's not like it's an original thought really if you think about it there's there's nothing original yeah in the ten commandments it's actually like flatter god's vanity <laughs> and then don't kill people right <laughs> and don't steal yeah but like ugh, I, I could say so much about the ten commandments and how they're actually not moral but we'll move on we'll save that for another episode yeah. too so all right so we talked a little bit about some old testament historical foolishness let's move on to the gospels in the new testament this is a fun one. Can I tell this? Because I love pigs. Yes. For some reason, I was obsessed with them when I was little. <laughs> Everybody remembers the pig story, right? In the in the Gospels. This is where Jesus exercised the demons named the Legion uh, and sent the demons into a group of unsuspecting pigs. And then the demon pigs ran into the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> the and the way... <laughs> pigs. That sounds like a goth band. <laughs> demon pigs. It's fantastic. Okay, so uh, in Mark, this takes place in the town of Okay, full disclaimer, I don't know how to pronounce any of these names. The town of Gerasa, G-E-R-A-S-A. That sounds good. Okay, good. (laughs) The problem is that this is 37 miles from the Sea of Galilee, where the pigs were supposed to have drowned. So (laughs) the demon pigs ran 37 miles. Well, they were powered by Satan. They were powered by Satan, yeah. Well, in Matthew, I guess he realized this was kind of a stretch, 37 miles away. So he changed the town to Gadara. G-A-D-A-R-A, which is actually much closer to the Sea of Galilee, but it is still kind of far. I think it's like seven miles. So they're still like, they're still running a long way to get to the sea so they can drown themselves. I've never seen a pig run more than like 15 feet. (laughs) Yeah, the pig races at the uh, fair. That's the only time I've seen pigs run. Well, so there was a ton of confusion about this issue, but what town it was early on, because different manuscripts have different variants among the Gospels of, right. you know, which one said which town. This is interesting because the name Gerasa, which is the town that Mark chose, it means to banish, as in like an exorcism. Mm-hmm. So Mark clearly chose that city name for its symbolism, not necessarily for its historical accuracy. So this just further supports the idea that none of this ever happened. We didn't really talk about this in this episode, but I think you've been reading these books um, by Bart Ehrman, misquoting Jesus and I'm reading Jesus Interrupted right now. He talks a lot about the gospel accounts. And Mark, from what we know from the manuscripts, is the earliest gospel that's written. And then Matthew and Luke were written after. So a lot of the things, like you mentioned... Matthew noticed this thing in Mark's thing that didn't make a lot of sense. And so then he was like, well, I'm going to go ahead and change that. So, and that happens a lot in those synoptic gospels. You'll see that Mark will say something and then Matthew and Luke will tell the same story, but they'll tell it sometimes moderately different and sometimes completely different. Yeah. It takes away a little bit of the credibility. They each had their own agendas. And I don't think they ever realized that all four of the gospels were going to be side by side in the same book. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about everybody's favorite guy, Jesus, right? Right? Because all the history about him should be 
completely accurate, right? Mm, yeah, presumably. I, I mean, I would think so. I'm going to give a shameless plug for the Dossier of Reason here because that's where I got a lot of this stuff. And if you haven't read the Dossier of Reason, it's so great. We'll link it in the show notes, but it is fascinating. Like, yeah, there's so much in there. And it's not just about biblical uh, inaccuracies. It's about the whole of Christianity and how if you look at it from reason and logic, it just blows it all away. It's it's pretty phenomenal. So we'll link to that in the show notes and definitely take a read from that because this is not my original thought. As far as Jesus goes, there is no contemporary historical evidence of Jesus, or at least of, of the Jesus as he was described in the Bible. Mm-hmm. A lot of the writings think that maybe Jesus, yes, existed. He was a teacher. He may have even been crucified. But the stories that surround him that you know would make people think he was the Messiah, there's no verification of them. So right. no historian alive during Jesus' day wrote about Jesus. And you would think Jesus did some pretty, some pretty cool shit. Yeah. You would think you would write it about it if you were a historian at that time. Yeah. So if he did everything that the Bible says, then yes, absolutely he should have been written about. But if he were just this itinerant preacher guy wandering around, there were a lot of those wandering Tons around and it's not surprising he wasn't written about. Right. Yeah. So I think what you were saying earlier is that the lack of historical corroboration for Jesus does not mean that he didn't exist like somebody who didn't exist who inspired the Jesus myth. But right. I think it does count against the Jesus of the Bible existing for sure. Right. Yeah. They basically strung a lot of mythological stories together and kind of created a larger than life character that became yeah. this Jesus Messiah character. So some of the historical events that there's no documentation of. The kings, the wise men, the magi coming to his birth. Nobody wrote about that. And the wise men themselves would have wrote about that because that's what they did. They were like scribes that wrote and they were scientists. Oh, I didn't know that. The magi would have wrote about them going to meet the Messiah when he was a baby, don't you think? I mean, I know I would have. Oh, fascinating. There's also no record of Herod slaughtering all the baby boys when Jesus was born. There's no record of it. And that's a pretty significant thing. Mm-hmm. Also, in the, I don't have it in this list, but there's also no record of the census that supposedly took place at that time where Mary and Joseph had to go back to their place of birth to register. No record of that census. Uh, the overthrowing of money changers in the temple. Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, where he's declared king by the whole town. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. Somebody would have wrote about that. A shameless plug here for one of my blog posts. It's one of my favorite ones about Jesus riding two donkeys. Into oh, the yeah. Room. The two donkey ones. That so was good I'm going to link to that because everybody go read it. I love it. You should. It's hilarious, too. There's some wording in the story of the donkey of him coming in that is just hilarious if you think about it. I won't give it away as a spoiler. You can go read Susie's blog. I, I actually can't think of what you mean. Well, it's because... Uh, no, I'm not going to give it away. Go read it. Go okay. read your own blog. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Still don't know what you mean. <laughs> All right. The picture's uh, funny. I like yeah, the picture. The, the picture's classic. Um, darkness covering the whole earth for hours when Jesus died. The earthquakes at Jesus' death. The rending of the temple veil at Jesus' death. Oh, hang on. Can we go back to the darkness covering the whole earth for hours? Yeah, let's talk about all of those. Cause... Yeah, well, I just wanted to bring up the darkness because that was speculated to be an eclipse mm-hmm. back a few centuries and second century and whatever. But it couldn't have been because it took place on Passover and they knew that from the position of the moon that it could not have been a, an eclipse. And so right. there had to have been some other reason for that. That's just interesting. That Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, they tried to historically corroborate it as an eclipse and they couldn't. Yeah, and since you can basically follow the cycles to figure out when yeah. eclipses happen. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff about the earthquakes at Jesus' death and the Temple Veil story. There's a lot of, of foolishness around that thing of how they explain that too. But you can do some research on that. 
the resurrection of Jesus that was seen by 500 witnesses. Of those 500 witnesses, none of them wrote about it. Not a one. If you're one of only 500 people that saw Jesus after he resurrected, you sure the hell would write about it, don't you think? Yeah. Well, I don't understand how people can claim that there were eyewitnesses. We have eyewitness testimony. Right. No, we don't. We have one person writing that 500 people saw him. Right. I can write that 500 people saw Elvis after he died. It doesn't mean (laughs) it's true. Yeah, because none of the 500 people corroborate the story. The resurrection of dead holy men who were seen by many. That was part of that Mm -hmm. zombie resurrection. Zombie resurrection, yeah. I think you have a post about that too, so. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, after this episode, just go read all of Susie's blog. (laughs) and it will change your life. All right, so literally there's not one single contemporary reference to any of these or any other event in Jesus's life. I know when I was um, growing up in the fundamentalist regime, they always talked about Josephus. I never read anything of Josephus, but I always just said, whenever somebody said, oh, well, Josephus wrote about Jesus, he corroborated all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And of course, now I found out that Josephus was not a contemporary of Jesus. Yeah, I think he was born just a few years after Jesus supposedly died. Yeah, so he wasn't around to see Jesus. He just wrote about it after the fact, like all the people who wrote the Gospels did. Mm -hmm. And there was the interpolation, but we're probably going to do an episode just on these old historical sources and which ones can be trusted and which ones aren't. Yeah, so another part of this is that the living Roman satirists who made fun of Jewish messiahs, they don't have anything to say about Jesus. The Roman comedian circuit were always making fun of the Jewish culture because, you know, they were slaves to Rome. Rome conquered them. And so they were like, oh yeah, these guys believe in the Messiah. There's some stories about the crucifixion that kind of lend some credibility to this too, because Rome didn't want to actually crucify Jesus allegedly, so they just pushed it off on the Jews. And this is in one of those conflicting gospel stories about the two stories being totally different, because one of them says Rome basically did it, and the other one says the Jews did it. And isn't this related to the whole Pontius Pilate, like the Bible portrays Pontius Pilate as being kind of like compassionate. Yeah, he basically tries to wash his hands of it and say, I think he literally does. He washes his hands and says, you know, you guys do with them what you will. And then in historical sources, you know, Pontius Pilate was this really cruel, ruthless character. It just doesn't jive at all with the biblical interpretation of him. So that's definitely historical inaccuracy. Yeah. Peter, Paul, and the other New Testament writers didn't seem to know anything about historical Jesus, because none of them ever wrote about the events taking place in the gospel. They don't ever mention the virgin birth, miracles, his baptism. They don't even really talk about his teachings. No, they just say he was he died, buried, and was resurrected. Right. That's all they wrote about. They, and they didn't even say when that happened in history. They didn't reference his teachings. It would have been helpful, probably. They could have clarified a lot of doctrinal issues and said, well, Jesus said it this way, you know, which is you know what preachers and stuff do now. Like, well, Jesus said this. But if you were 100 years after Jesus and you were talking about this stuff, why would you not mention Jesus <laughs> if he was there? So the Gospels definitely appear to be written to agree with the apostles teaching and arguments after the fact not the way other way around Mm -hmm. and the early church same thing they didn't seem to know anything about historical jesus either there's a lot of disagreement over jesus in the first hundred years some churches didn't even believe that he had a physical body prompting paul to write about that issue i read about this in bart ehrman's book and there was a whole school of people that believed that jesus was spirit and that his body was like just a projection yeah yeah and this prompted a lot of the changes to the bible from the scribes right because they had to change you know update the theology to prove no he did have a physical body yeah and that's pretty interesting disagreement 
argument. I don't think I knew about that because it's like you got these two schools and one of them said Jesus was actually human and God at the same time. And the other one said, no, he was fully God. And the human thing was just like a suit that he wore, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, which is I don't know, it's kind That's of funny. Exactly like, it. Yeah. But, you know, it just goes to show you, like, we think that we know now what Christianity should be. Right. Jesus had a physical body. But if they couldn't even agree in second century who Jesus was. Right. And they were so much closer in time to when all this happened. We're right. so much farther removed from it. We should know less. Right. There was no consensus then. There yeah. were so many splinters of the church. They're like, there was no early church. It was all like, imagine like um, a sea urchin and every spike off the sea urchin is, an, <laughs> is another kind of Christianity. That's how it was. And our Christianity came off of one spike of that sea urchin. One of those spikes. So it still goes on today, even now, thousands of years later. Yeah. It's just it's just a big game of telephone. Yes. It was already completely discombobulated in the second century, and 2,000 years later, it's even worse, you know? So you, mm -hmm. you had all those spikes back then, and now there's 40,000 plus spikes. <laughs> One spike diversion to 40,000. Yeah, and that's just in Christianity. You're not even considering all the other world religions, which also, some of which have roots in the Abrahamic story. Islam and, and Judaism. Yeah. If Christianity is real and there is a heaven and a hell and we there is something specific that we have to do in order to get to heaven. And that's in the Bible, right? That those instructions are given to us in the Bible. But yet the waters are muddied with all these other religions. Don't you think it's weird that God gave us this specific task that we have to accomplish to get to heaven, but yet there's all these other assignments floating around and he's like not even making it clear which assignment we need to complete. In right. order to finish the task, we need to choose the right assignment. Is that the test? Is choosing the right assignment with no evidence? It's just so bizarre. Yeah. If a certain brand of Christianity was right, and if God really existed and, and the plan was so clear, he wouldn't make it so hidden. Yes. It wouldn't have to be like a choose your own adventure, you know, where you never know if you go to page 39, page 39 sends me right to hell. Shit. Yeah. Am I doing this right? It's all like a game of Russian roulette. It's based on where you're born and what you're exposed to how your brain is structured. Yeah. A real true God who was compassionate and loving and wise would not create a system like this. It was it you? I think this is also one of your blog posts. You're so prolific. But didn't you do a blog post about like, let's create a deity? Virginianity. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great post because it talks about like, if you were going to create a deity and a religion, here's how you would want to do it. Yeah. Well, like Christianity checks off all the boxes of what, what you would have to do and what you would have to say to create a religion and get it to propagate. Christianity right. does all those things. Another plug for another Susie post. So yeah, you well, guys have homework. You got like three <laughs> to four posts to read and you got to read the dossier of reason and, and watch some YouTube videos. So, and then go, go check out Phil's blog. We'll keep you busy. So yeah, let's wrap this up. Yeah. I mean, I think we talked around the world a little bit about all these different inaccuracies, both scientific and historical. And there's so much more of, of all of these. Like we only picked out a few and, you know, some of them, maybe we have more info than others. But if you really want to research this stuff, the data is out there for you to find. So if you really want to find it, and we'll link to some of the sources the thing I find interesting about a lot of the contradictions and inaccuracies things is they're well documented in the Christian history. You can see people arguing about this stuff for the past 2000 years. Like if they were arguing about it 2000 years ago, there's no indication that they're going to, we're going to stop arguing about it now. Right. There's no way to know that they're, what these people are arguing about is even right. 
it's much easier to just throw the whole thing away and say it's all wrong i don't need any of this stuff you know to live a decent human life i I think it even gets in the way it gets in the way of living a decent human life and, and loving people. Yeah, because you start to look at people like with this us versus them yes. dichotomy. It's just not a healthy way to live. But it just goes to show you can look at the book and you can make it say whatever you want. That lends credibility to the idea that the Bible is just a human interpreted book. Yeah. Interpreted is not a word. A <laughs> human a human interpreted book. There should be no way that you can misinterpret an inerrant book. Especially when it's written by the most wise entity that has ever existed or could ever exist in the entire universe or multiverse. Yeah, no room for error, no room for misinterpretation. There should certainly be no contradictions or inaccuracies. That whole thing of, you know, multiple religions and, you know, I was a a progressive Christian towards the end of my Christian life. And I started to think, oh, well, we're all kind of in this together. It doesn't really matter, you know, the specific doctrinal differences. And now that I think about that right now, that that's exactly why none of it matters. Because if you can just accept everybody's beliefs as, ah, it's all mostly good enough. Well, then what's the point? What good is it? What's the point of any of it? Yeah, you don't need any of it. Yeah. I think that's a cool way to end this. Um, You know, just you know, what we would definitely encourage you guys to do is, you know, do some research. You know, there's there's tons of sources out there to do some do your own research, educate yourself. If you've got questions for us, we would love to discuss them with you. Uh, we don't claim to have all the answers for sure. And I'm sure this episode was not inerrant. Oh, definitely. I just not. want to put that disclaimer up there. Like we are flawed human beings and we have our own biases and we make mistakes. For sure. And if you notice one, definitely let us know what it is. And Mm -hmm. if you have better information, we would love to hear it because we are always trying to learn and grow ourselves. So we are fallible. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Tune in next time where we will continue to tackle the question. If your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Follow us at the flawedtheologypodcast.com and subscribe wherever you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you might find us. Please rate and review us. Follow us on Facebook, and we do now have an Instagram, so you can find us on there, and we're hoping to put up some... It's totally empty. Yeah, it's totally empty right now. <laughs> right now it has the logo. I need to draw some doodles yeah. or something. So we're, I'm hopefully going to just start stealing some of Susie's drawings from her blog, and I'm just going to post them until they go viral. So yeah. Well, you, guys... you know, I took a screen cap of us talking tonight, so... Ooh. If we're brave, we might post our own faces. (laughs) Well, we might do that. And hopefully we don't wind up on a no-fly list uh, for a Christian (laughs) flight, you know, where they play worship songs. Yeah, yeah. I'm (laughs) already on the no-fly list because I'm Lebanese. Oh, man. There's no (laughs) way you could have ever been a good Christian if you're Lebanese. No. So sad. All right. Well, thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye. (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) I'm awkward. Did I mention that? to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast please uh, rate and review us on the various platforms did you say plodcast plodcast did you say plodcast i don't think so but i successfully avoided oh. saying follow us online like the last time <laughs> yeah, yeah of course now good. i'm saying it again but 
So. Hang on, sorry, I'm doing something. <laughs> Just give me a second. <laughs> doing something. I'm d- hey, smile. <laughs> How about that? Jeez, whiz. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, let's try it again because I want to get. Why are we smiling? Are we, is this because um, I'm taking a screen? Uh, screen. Is this for gl- glamour shots? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a good smile. Like, keep that one. Wait, I was actually laughing. Oh, I can't uh... force smile. Did you take it? Not yet. <laughs> oh, good. That's good. Okay. Okay. Is this going to be used in like one of your flat, uh, your flat Stanley drawings that we can put on our Maybe. Instagram? Maybe it'll be the first one. We'll cartoonize it. Yeah. yeah. That was a subtle plug for our Instagram that has nothing on it yet, but follow us anyway. <laughs> oh, I was going to edit all that out. I know. That's going at the end. It'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs>